Hey everybody, happy holidays. Welcome to the Live Fit Break Free podcast. We're about to get started with episode four. We've got an awesome guest for today. His name is Evan Seal, amongst many things, a combat veteran, army ranger, division one athlete, and co-founder of Verb Labs. That's VRB Labs, just an incredible supplement company. We'll get into that in a second. Before we do, if you're following Altum Fitness, then our two apps, that's Altum Fitness and Altum Tribe, they're going to be launching in just a couple of days together. Those two apps can help anybody break free from any unhealthy habits and live their best, fittest, deepest life yet. Just keep an eye out for that. Go to ultimfitness.com to learn more. Speaking of the Ultim Tribe app, the Tribe app is where all of the magic happens around habit transformation and life transformation, courses, challenges, community forums, things like that. That app is going to be completely free for United States veterans and active duty armed men and service women, period. Just free. We've got a huge heart for veterans here at Alton Fitness. I'm a veteran. A lot of the people involved with the startup of the company and supporting the company also just love supporting veterans. So we're going to be giving that one away. If you are a veteran, make sure you check us out again. That's altonfitness.com. And if you know a veteran, let them know that Altum Tribe is going to be free for them. And that said, this episode is going to be different than our previous three. Our previous three focused on stories of redemption around unhealthy habits or even addictions. But that's not what we're all about. It's really about helping people and inspiring people to live deep lives. And what we want to get in the habit of doing is inviting veterans onto this show to share their story and not necessarily stories about redemption and addiction. If they have those stories, I'm sure they'll share but also just about the things that they're doing to help other veterans and really to help anybody. There's hashtags out there in the social media world. If you're not aware, things like veterans helping veterans and veterans supporting veterans. So there's a huge movement, it's beautiful to see, of the veteran community supporting other veterans in their own community. And Evan Seal is one of those stories, and we're very blessed to have him come on and share with us. So Evan, I mentioned D1 soccer player at West Point. Special Forces, Army Ranger, combat veteran, three deployments, graduated from one of the most incredible MBA programs in the country, and then started Verb Lab. So not only is he an amazing guy with a resume that speaks for itself, he's got the most humble heart. And you'll really hear that coming through when he just kind of walks us through his life and the decisions he's made and his perspective. He's got amazing advice and wisdom to share. I'm truly grateful that he took some time out here at the end of the year to come and join the Lift Fit Break Free podcast. So I'll shut up. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Evan Seal. How you doing, Evan? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm honored. I'm honored to be here. And congrats to you on kicking off the podcast and getting after it. Thank you, man. Thank you. Are, you're our second guest. So we will always remember you uh, being gracious coming on. Nice. How's the end of year you're going, Evan? I know you got a lot going on, running a company and all those other things, but how are you feeling as you close out the year? Uh, I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling good always. There's a ton of stuff to be uh, happy about and, and grateful for and looking forward to spending some time with the family and getting down to Houston and closing out the year on a, on a good note, man. Tell us a little bit about growing up. Sounds like Texas was home. But uh, childhood, school, let's start there, man. But what was it like growing up? Yeah, I would say a pretty, pretty solid standard. And you know, grew, up in, grew up in Sugar Land, like I said. You know, sports were a big part of our lives. My mom and dad got us into, mainly my mom, actually, got us into everything. She's a saint for you know, allowing us to, to 
figure out what we were good at and what we enjoyed and, and had fun doing. Man, you know, I was playing, I played every sport, you know, we, I was in some sort of a league at some point until I either didn't like it anymore or, you know, we found out that I just wasn't good at it. Basketball, <laughs> baseball, track and field, football, soccer, choir, you know, pretty much anything we ever wanted to do that was an activity. My, my parents were like, yeah, let's, let's do it. The best leagues, we're going to get you in the best teams and try to figure out how, how to get you the best you know, coaches and trainers. So, I mean, I grew up in a super competitive environment, I guess, in that regards. And uh, I think that had a lot of, you know, kind of shaped who I was and mm. you know, kind of the next several years of my life. Well, we, we, you and I connected once prior to this, and I shared that I have three littles myself, five and a half, three and a half, yeah. and 10 months. And only the five and a half and three and a half year old are actually doing activities. And when I say activities, it's like once a week. Yeah, yeah. And my wife and I feel sorry for ourselves sometimes for carting them all around. So I can only imagine yeah. the reason I was asking how many kids, if you all had activities, yeah. shout out to your mom and dad, nothing sure. but deep respect for them. It's crazy how as you get older, you kind of look back on those times and like, man, you know, my mom, like she was a consultant. So she'd work you know, for like PwC. She'd fly out on a Wednesday, come back on a Thursday, meeting with clients all over the U.S. And then. Boom, right at the weekend, it was like tournament in San Antonio, tournament or in Dallas or tournament, you know, mm-hmm. wherever. And we're driving all over. Yeah, she she fucking sacrificed for sure for us. You got to be selfless. That's for sure. All right. So you, you started going into there that of your siblings, you were the one that went into collegiate sports. And you also said earlier, you kind of dabbled in every sport. I even heard you say football. Shout out to football and my sport of choice. Yeah. Which sport did you wind up kind of going all in on, I'm assuming, like in high school and, and took you into your collegiate years? Where did you land with sports? I, I, I narrowed everything down to football and soccer and around basically going into high school. High school, I played both soccer and football all four years. I started getting recruited by West Point for soccer. You know, you go to these kind of big college recruiting tournaments for soccer and you, know, you get hit up by, by coaches and they kind of, you know, express interest and West Point was one of them. And so I was like, whoa, this is, this is kind of crazy. And I didn't even really understand, like no one in my family was like military or had a mm-hmm. you know, military background. And so th- this was like very strange to me, but luckily my mom was like aware of West. Honestly, I didn't even know what West Point was like, mm-hmm. it was not even on my radar or military service. It was this kind of, you know, incident where the stars align. I started getting interest from West Point. So I started diving into everything that is military service and what West Point is. And, you know, I started talking to other people and, you know, mentors about this opportunity. And every single time I talked to anybody about it, they were just like, yeah, you have to go do this. Like, this is, this is an awesome opportunity. Like, you know, what an honor this could be. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, started looking into it. And, uh, you know, I think at the time it was, it was something that, got me out of the bubble and I was excited about that. I was like, this is, man, I'm going to go travel to New York and you know, go to school there. You know, my family lives here in Texas. It's going to be crazy. Like, you know, we're going to shoot guns and do all kinds of cool stuff. You know, that was kind of my mentality at the time, to be honest. And it's interesting because as it's kind of ridiculous as that sounds, it yeah, doesn't. I've, I've more or less done that in a lot of different situations. Like, you know, it's like, okay, everyone, you know, we're doing this and we can all run this way or you can take these like, kind of weirder, you know, off ramps and go into different directions that, you know, maybe, you know, the, is not the norm. Maybe that's kind of, that was one of the driving factors. Yeah. You know, it's funny you, where you just landed, I was going to, I was going to bring it up later, but that decision, the way you put it, I forget your words, but essentially like my words are, 
you wanted to do something different against the grain, get out of the bubble, didn't want to do what other people were doing. It, it'd be interesting to, to talk more to find out if that's like a recurring theme in the decision that you make up to and through even starting starting a business. And we'll get we'll get back to that. But it could be a hardwiring, Evan, that that's in yeah. you to kind of like explore and buck the system, which I think is really cool. So real real fast, my my mom actually took me to West Point. I will not go go into it deeply here, but let's just say some choices I made in high school would have uh, excluded me from from going to West Point. But yeah. she did go there. She brought me there. I, I and there's something. There's like a I don't know what the word would be like a mystique. There's a mystery. There's I mean obviously it's just such an amazing tradition. The the whole thing and the service is all of that. But I I was always enamored with West Point. She brought us to shoot. It was uh, Colgate. It was West Point oh, football nice. versus Colgate. Cool. And uh, I remember looking at looking over, you know, and just being like blown away by that place. But something I would love to hear, kid, you're, you're a kid, you're leaving Sugarland, you know, Houston, Texas area. It sounds like, you know, West Point was something that got dropped into your mind as a senior. And then before you know it, you're graduating and you're in upstate New York at West Point yeah. with, it sounds like a family network that has military service that you can turn to and be like, what the hell is going on here, right? What was it like that like first week or two or three or whatever at West Point when you showed up and your world was just completely different? Before I went directly into West Point, I graduated my senior year. I actually went to the West Point prep school, USMAPS is what they call it, United States Military Academy Preparatory School, which is the sister prep school to to West Point. It was still, you know, there was still that, went off to the Northeast, got dropped off. And yeah, it was very much like, they had this whole like, and West Point does the same thing. I did it again eight months later, but at West Point, but basically show up your family on our day and you have like, I don't know, a minute to say goodbye to your family. Everyone's in this like, you know, room together and they come in and they're like all suited up in their military stuff. And you're, you know, I'm just like a punk, you know, high schooler, 18 year old who's knows everything at the time. And like, okay, you have a minute to say goodbye to your family. And then we're getting on the bus and that's it. And I just remember like that, you know, us finishing saying goodbye and then walking onto the bus and be like, damn, that's it. Like that, that's literally it. Yeah. And, and so from there, you know, they take you to this basically like a manufacturing line and they got to get your hair cut, get your books, get your uniform. Here's like a quick down and dirty on how to drill and like walk like a soldier. And it was like that from there on, man, it was, it was intense. You know, it was, it was it was great, but I think that it was so like high energy and so just like constantly go, 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 go. You know, people always like, you always had some sort of structure or you knew you had to be doing something. So there wasn't a lot of time to, to kind of think. And so it, in hindsight, as long as you could just put one foot in front of the other and just mm-hmm. follow orders, like you did just fine. And you just kind of, you just went through it all. I, don't, I never really remembered having much of a problem or, or even really being scared or having a time to, to be concerned just because it was like, I wouldn't even think about it. I was just like, okay, I need to get my uniform ready. I need to get up at 6 a.m. or whatever it is. So I think yeah. that structure kind of helped alleviate any you know, confusion or time to wander, I guess. Which is yeah. I need. Yeah. And I can relate somewhat with my first days on Paris Island when I, when I, you know, showed up there for Marine Corps basic. It's like the thing that I figured out really quickly that I think if you figured it out quickly, you would do well is just stop thinking about what you're being asked to do and just move in the direction of whatever you're being asked to do and do it yeah. fast and do it intensely and you'll be fine. Yeah. All right, so you get done with that. What What is the name of that that program or that kind of season again before you're full into West Point? It's called the West Point Prep School. Use Prep School. 
Okay, yeah. West Point. Okay, so you finished prep school. Is there any break in between going over to West Point? Or are you literally just throwing your, your bag over your shoulder Not and moving over? Pretty much just move over. Like a bus picks you up, and you, as a class, you all move to West Point for the next R day, which is the day when all the you know straight out of high school comes straight in. So there's kind of double edged sword because now I'm showing up with like two. It's about 200 people, 150 to 100 to 200 people go to the prep school before West Point each year. And so you show up with like a group of you know, 200 people that you've just spent the last eight months with, you know, chopping it up and, you know, classes and military stuff. So you have this really strong support network and there's kind of like this clashing of like prepsters is what they're called prepsters at West Point. And then like people who come fresh in because they don't know anybody. And then there'll be like a prepster and we have this like huge network across the, the core to where we can, you know, get help or, you know, how did we do this? How do you do this? Or what are you seeing over there? You know, so it was this kind of good fraternity kind of roll into Maine West Point with. Yeah. And you mentioned that the prep portion was, was pass fail and, and give or take, I realize you're just throwing 200 out there, but how many folks didn't, didn't get on that bus over to West Point and kind of went home after prep? I don't think there's a huge attrition. Maybe 20% didn't. And mm-hmm. most of those were probably self-selected out. They're just like, not, not for this. me. Yeah, not you know, athletes, they get there and they're like, what the fuck? I'm supposed to be playing football. Like, yeah, yeah. So, you know, so they're you're, out. You're waking and me then, up at six in the morning to do what? To to yeah, fold my yeah, bed yeah. to do what? Walk me through. What's it like? Your first year, total experience going through. Just give some kind of highlights, lowlights of what it's, what it's like to do life at West Point and also as a D1 athlete. Yeah, I think that's important because it is a little bit different as an athlete. You know, it is what it is, but... I guess so first year is the worst year, you know, your, your plebe year is what they call it. And yeah, that's when you have the most severe restrictions on everything, really. I mean, I'll throw a couple out there just to give you an idea, but like the, some of the most ridiculous ones, like there's no talking outside your, either the classroom or your own barracks room, like your own little dorm room. So you can't talk in the hallways to anyone unless you're talk, someone talks to you, an upperclassman. So that's kind of strange. You'll be like walking to class with a buddy and you're like just like walking next to each other and you can't talk to each other. You have to square corners. So if I was to walk like down a hallway and the hallway turned you know, 90 degrees, I have to like turn 90 degrees mm-hmm. at that. You have to pot, you have, you have to square all your movements whenever you're walking, which is ridiculous. You have to cup your hands at all times. I'm not even sure what that rule is for, but your hands had to be cupped everywhere when you're walking around. Ridiculous. Well, but yeah, yeah. And, you know, and then the other ones too, is like you get one pass per semester. So you have legit taps, like, like 11 o'clock on Fridays, they're coming around your dorm room. They're opening the door and there's like a guard, like a, you know, cadet guard who is his, his role and responsibility is to make sure that everyone's in their rooms and accounted for at night before everyone goes to bed. So like 11 o'clock, if you're not in your room, you're getting, you're going to get dinged up and you have to walk hours or you'll get some sort of punishment. So like every night to include Fridays and Saturday nights, there was a curfew and you're required to be at home. There was your freshman year and you get one pass per semester where you can stay out the whole weekend where you can leave Friday and you can come back Sunday and you know, you're good to go and you're not going to get, and I mean, you're there, you're there the whole time. I mean, your freshman year, you know, one, one weekend a semester is not a lot to kind of no. get out and like enjoy yourself. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just very like, you're very controlled your first year and you start getting more responsibilities and more free freedom, you know, as you progress to when you're a senior, you're pretty much, I would, I guess your senior year is probably the most comparable to like a, a college. You get all the weekends off, 
you can have a car on base and, and things like that. So, yeah, the first year is a lot about, and, and the classes, you know, for me, I'm not like a super, I wasn't even in high school, I wasn't like an academic guy. I wasn't like, that's not something that was like super interesting to me. I didn't dive in. You know, I wasn't trying to be you know, a straight A student. And you, know, you get to West Point and it's like, it's pretty, I mean, it's, it's heavy engineering type coursework and, and challenging. And a lot of time, your first years, at least for me, is spent like buckling down on, you know, trying to get, <laughs> trying to pass the classes and get, you know, get through the classes and, and then just play my sport, soccer. You know, soccer saved me a lot as a freshman because you're you know, a D1 athlete. I mean, you're practicing every single day on the weekends. You're traveling on the weekends to go play sports. You know, you don't get like passes when you're out traveling, but like, it, you know, it breaks up the monotony and you, you get it to get out and, you know, it's not as stressful probably and as i hate to say depressing but like just kind of not fun at west point when you're in your first year mm -hmm. um, you obviously make the best of it and you you do have great times but you know soccer allowed me to get out and and you know just not be bogged down as much so it was it was yeah. great to be an athlete and then you have like the upperclassmen who like look out for you and you know if someone's hazing you in your company like you have an equal in his grade that can come and like you know have a talk with them and you know, you're kind of looked after. And so there's a lot of positives with being an athlete at West Point. You know, I got to, you know, thankfully I was able to experience some of that as well. When when you're a freshman, are you under the, the uniform code of military justice already? Yeah. And I don't know, the, like the, the, the most important one that I know of is, is the start of your junior year. So if you take, if you start your junior year and you take like the first, if you're there for the first day, the way I understand it, and I'm not sure the exact legality of it, is you're essentially saying like you're committed at that point. So you commit that first that first day of your junior year, and if you do commit, then from that moment on, if anything happens to you, you I mean, you are more or less in the army, and you will you will owe time. So the normal commitment is five years after you graduate. So if you graduate West Point, you owe five years of active duty service, with the exception on if you did like an ADSO where you like got a, the branch you wanted in return for adding additional three years or something. So you could end up graduating and owing eight years, but most people, the baseline, the, you know, the, the minimum is five years. And so if you pass that first day of your junior year, you're essentially signing a contract saying that. So I do know people who got kicked out of West Point after their junior year who, you know, DWI, cheating on tests or, you know, something else nefarious where they got in trouble and, you know, the, the academy was like, we don't want you here. You're not a fit. They kick you out and then you go serve in the regular army as like an enlisted individual oh, wow. just at the whims of, you know, the needs of the army. So I had a buddy wow. who went, he went, you know, got out. He was going to be, he actually got kicked out like a couple weeks before we graduated, Oof. which is super unfortunate. But, you know, he That's went straight in the army as like a specialist and a cab scout out in Alaska, and he had to serve for, you know, his service time out there. Yeah. Evan, I feel like that's so important for non-military folks to understand what it feels like for the first time, especially in a young a young man or woman's life, to, to have a commitment that you can't back out on, you know? And yeah. I didn't know that. It, it sounds to me like if you're a sophomore at West Point, and you, you just wake up one day and be like, you know what? I'm tired of getting up. I'm tired of getting yelled at. I, I don't want to do this anymore. It sounds like you, you're not obligated. You can just go. Is that yeah. right? But yeah. A, a switch is flipped. It sounds like very yeah. quickly your junior year. I didn't know yeah, that. It's, it's funny, man. I, I actually remember us sitting around some of the, some of my buddies, same age as me, same grade. 
on the soccer team. We were sitting around, I think like on the soccer field, we're kind of like, all right, like, you know, tomorrow's the day. Like, you know, are we, are we in, like, are we doing this? <laughs> and of course, like at that point, you know, there's, there's warranty people like, Oh, I don't know if I'm going to do it. Like, man, I'm like, dude, shut up. You're not, you're going to, you've already, we're already like halfway through this thing, man. You got to stick it out at this point. And, but yeah, it's, it, it's a significant event. It's kind of just like a, unspoken like there's not like a ceremony for it or anything like that it's just like it's just a, a known thing like hey you're in this if you get to this far you're like locked in yeah all right wow that's that's good knowledge man i didn't know that and I, I, I won't go into any stories whatsoever but i'll say that at paris island it's like you know once you actually before you even show up there you're you're already committed and for that reason psychologically when guys in my case in, in my you know in my platoon but when they decided for whatever reason that they made the decision, they didn't want to do it anymore. They, they understood that they couldn't just leave. So you see a lot of guys, or I saw a lot of guys, you know, trying to hurt themselves, yeah. faking things like that. Cause just to get out. But again, it's, it's that psychological pressure of for the first time, especially for a young man, literally not having the option to make a decision to, to change. And that, that can be heavy for people. I don't want to jump too, too far ahead, but what is the, what is the process within the United States army about determining what's next for you? Are you self-selecting, say, like your military occupational specialty once you're out? Are they telling you based on skill set? But just walk us through kind of wrapping up at West Point and then transitioning to wherever you went next, if you could. Yeah, sure. So there's there's two like significant events that happen in your junior and senior year. So it's branch night and then post night. And so branch night is the night where before this, you Basically, HRC comes in and uh, says, like, okay, West Point, you know, in the Army, we have 500 slots for infantry officers. We have 400 slots for armor officers. We have 200 slots for aviation officers. And of those slots, we're giving West Point XYZ amount of slots. So West Point has kind of the, the, first, pick of the, the first pick of the slots available for each branch. And then they come to us and they say, okay, hey, Evans class, here's the amount of slots we have. So I think for us, we had like 150 slots for field artillery, you know, 100 slots for infantry, 80 slots for armor. And then you go down the line of all the different, all the different branches. And you know, there's combat arms branches and there's non-combat arms branches. So there's, you know, a bunch of different ones to kind of choose from and limited slots for each of the branches. Some are more popular than others, you know, like infantry, aviation, med corps kind of go out the highest. And then you have kind of like field artillery, armor, or, you know, some of the other ones, or, you know, then you get like non-combat arms stuff come after that. So basically the way you, what happens is you get a class rank based on your physical, mental, or physical, military, and academic. So there's like basically you have three class ranks. They take an average of those to find like your total class rank. And then based on that number is when you choose branches. So like basically the number one person in the class walks up there and he has every slot from every branch to choose from. And someone who's last in the class might get left with like whatever has been, you know, the, the, the leftovers essentially. And it's, it's, it's kind of wild. Like before that night, you basically write down on a piece of paper, you rank all the, the branches you want from, you know, best, you know, the number one all the way down, to like I think your fifth favorite. And then they basically take all that back. They figure out what you're going to get based on your class rank and what everyone else picked. And then you have a branch night. We're all sitting in this auditorium. They come hand out these envelopes to you. They do this like countdown and you open the envelope and you pull out this card and it's got your branch on it 
of what you got. And so wow. like, it's, just that sounds like exciting crazy. and nerve wracking and all the yeah. things, huh? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy. Funny story is the buddy next to me was like, he was pretty low in the class and, and he like pulls out his thing. Like he didn't even know what the branch was. Like didn't even know what the symbol was, you know, getting branch like ordinance or something. And, uh, but yeah, man, it's just, and that, at that, at that point, there's like really not much you can do. You can, you can try to swap with people, but it's not very likely. So yeah, it's, it's how you figure out branch. And then the same thing with post, they basically say, okay, here's, here's how many slots we have for each of the posts within each of the branches. So within FA field artillery, you have, you know, three slots to Fort Stewart, you have five slots to Hawaii and, and so on and so forth. And then again, class rank within branch, you pick your post. Branch is the, the, basically the, the job you'll be doing in the, in the army. So whether it's flying helicopters, infantry, armor, aviation, whatever it is, and then post is where you'll, you'll be stationed to do that job. Tracking. Okay. What, what was your list and what did you get? My list, my number one choice was field artillery and I got it. So catch us up. Where'd you go from there? I mean, I know where you went geographically, but how long were you there and, and what's next in the army? Yeah, so went in FA, did the Fort Sill, like OB's officer basics course, learned how to be an artilleryman, and then went to Fort Stewart. I got to Fort Stewart. I tried out to go to, to Ranger School, and I got I got selected, so I went to Ranger School. Did that for a couple months. Got You know, you did that tour. I recycled one of the phases, so I was out there for longer than you'd like to be. Did that, and then came back. Pretty much immediately went on a deployment to Afghanistan. As soon as I got back, we went to... Kind of like in Eastern Afghanistan, Paktika area. That was with the third ID. And basically we're doing village stability operations. Like we were co-located with a bunch of special forces, ODAs, and they were out building Afghan local polices in different, you know, different villages. And we were supporting them to do that, you know, helping them train Afghan locals, equip, build, you know, fortified checkpoints and military, like, hard points for the Afghan local police. So we're just kind of like driving around, building stuff and helping them train locals for the first deployment. And yeah, that, and then, and then from there I came back, I went to selection again to go to the Ranger regiment and got picked up to go to the Ranger regiment. And I went to first battalion, 75th Rangers in Savannah, Georgia. So just like down the road from Fort Stewart. And then I was with the Rangers for the rest of my time. So I did about three years with them and a couple more deployments to Afghanistan with those guys. So Evan, your post, right? Get it now. The audience gets it. So you went to where you were going, pun intended, post West Point. Yeah. You show up and it feels to me like there's two paths, right? It's become a field artillery officer, do your training and deploy with a unit because of the time that you were serving. So far, yep. so accurate. Yep. yep. So you're attached to a unit, deploying as a unit, those things. But you mentioned the Rangers, and I think it's, I think people are really curious about things like this because it's considered special operations, right? Okay. Yeah. Why? Why did you decide that that was something you wanted to explore? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was fair. Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't amazing. I don't want to give the impression that I, I crushed it. No, but I was lucky to get what I wanted. But you see what I'm saying? You, you yeah. seem to be wanting to challenge yourself. Yeah. Army Rangers, just, just for anyone that doesn't understand what that is, just give it a little explanation of what, what the Army Rangers is and why you personally decided that that was something you wanted to explore. Sure. Yeah, so the Ranger Regiment is a special operations unit within the you know, combined special operations umbrella. And so it's a little bit confusing because there's also a Ranger School 
which you can go to. And that is a military school that anyone has access to. The question is if you get the opportunity to go because there's only a couple slots. And so if you're not like an infantry person, it's if you're an infantry person, you get an opportunity to go to ranger school right out of your officer basics course. That's given. But if you're not like your field artillery or if you're armor or something else, getting a slot to go to ranger school can be a little challenging because, you know, the, the infantry don't, they don't want to really like waste a slot on a non-infantry person, but some people get to go. So you can go to ranger school and, you know, it's challenging that if you complete it, you get a ranger tab and you're considered a ranger, ranger school qualified ranger. But then there's also a ranger unit, a special operations unit called the 75th Ranger Regiment, which operates under CJ Sodov and, you know, they're doing special operations missions. And so if you think about like this umbrella of special operations units that the president has the ability to leverage, you have like Navy SEALs, you have special forces, Green Berets, you have Army Rangers, you have these kind of, this kind of portfolio of special operations units that you can deploy to certain mission sets. And so Rangers are, you know, their primary mission is airfield seizure. You know, they, they parachute into an airfield they seize the airfield and they control it so they can you know, kind of move combat arms and, and, and you know, supply through there. But they, they are like the premier infantry fighting unit. That's kind of like what they're used for. That's the difference between Ranger School and like the Ranger unit itself. And you have to get selected to go into the Ranger Special Operations Unit. If you want to go, you have to be Ranger qualified, at least as an officer. I think you have to be Ranger qualified. You have to have gone to the school, I think, before you even like put a packet in for selection. And then if you may or may not even get selected to go and try out, but if you do selected to get to go and try out, you go and it's a, a three week, like super intensive, you know, tryout and you do everything from, you know, it's fitness. It's, you know, do you know your job? You know, can you be a, you know, an, an artillery man? Like, do you know it? Like, are you the best at it? And then, yeah, there's like a mental aspect to it. You, you do always like weird, like, we did like this psychological obstacle course and you, you, you do the weird stuff that you, you've seen on like some movies, you know what I mean? Like you get sit, you sit down with a psych and you take like this you know, three hour psych test and you do a bunch of crazy stuff. And then at the end you go to a board and on the board is like the regimental commander, you know, a bunch of sergeant majors. And it's like, they're just trying to grill you and break you down and decide at that moment based on, I mean, they're, they've been evaluating you the whole the whole time and like they have all this data on you and then they take you into the board and, and that's kind of the deciding moment where they're like all right you know congratulations welcome to the ranger regiment or pack your shit up and get out and so that's the selection process wow wow so, and they told you congratulations welcome yeah wow what'd that feel like it was crazy man it was a huge relief i mean i you know this is i think about this too there was a moment a couple of days before the board where I was like, I remember talking to my parents and I was like, I'm out. Like, there's no way I'm making this. Like I'm, and I was already like admitting that I was not going to make it. And I was, I wasn't going to quit right there and like walk away. But like in my mind, I was like, I had already convinced myself that I wasn't going to get in. I was going to let everyone down. I was going to be so embarrassed. And like, what am I going to tell my unit when I get back? And they find out that I just didn't get picked up on selection. And like, I was this whole deep rabbit hole I was going down and then you know I didn't fucking end up making it like uh, I think about that I'm like you know I've been in this situation before and you just fucking keep your head on tight and you know see this thing through uh, yeah. what um that that last sentence might be the answer to this question I'm about to ask but what is it habits mindset whatever 
what is it that allowed you to be successful and persevere through what sounds like an incredibly challenging tip of the spear, military speaking wise, experience in terms of training and intensity? I was physically fit. I mean, I've been, I've always done well physically. So I think I had that. So it wasn't a huge concern for me in that regard. So it was really like, can I be a good teammate? Can I be a good team player? Cause you get peer evaluated as well. Like those are, that's part of the evaluation. Like people are like writing about you or, 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 or telling, you know, writing down that you weren't a good teammate and we wouldn't recommend these people. So that's a big kind of portion of it. But then it's also like, did you, did you operate well on a team? Did you help each other? Did you carry more than your share of the weight? And then do you know your jobs? You know, it's none of it is rocket science and none of it is like super hard or anything that anyone else can't do. It's just, I think, you know, just doing the small, doing the small things that you know you have to do, like you know, studying for the tests and, and, you know, maybe not going out to at that time, what do you like go to Buffalo Wild Wings or something and have a Miller Lite, but, you know, not doing that. And like I said, staying in the barracks and, and studying, you know, building flashcards and getting smart on that. Or, you know, when you're working on a team, just, you know, instead of just always thinking about yourself and like, you know, do I have what I need? Do I, am I taking care of? Am I, you know, am I doing well? But like, take a second to kind of like look out and like, see who you can help. Like maybe you can help someone for a second mm. and like you know, give them some tips on, you know, artillery stuff. And maybe, you know, down the road, he'll hook you up on some infantry stuff and, you know, try to, you know, I think the Ranger Creed that the one line where it's always like, you know, I'll, I will shoulder more than my share of the task. You know, it's kind of corny to say that, but like, you know, I, I think about that a lot, honestly. I think that little, just little phrase as you go through life and you think about, you know, are you, are you not only carrying your own shit and taking care of yourself and not making other people have more stuff to carry because you're not carrying your own weight, but can you carry just a little bit more? And then that like transcends, I think, a lot. And, you know, I think that's always helped me. Imagine a, a, a world right. or a country where everybody adopts that every day, yeah, right? Right. Yeah. That'd be a beautiful place. It is, um, man. That's, that's, yeah, that's something good to live by. Yeah. I'm going to move towards your deployment, if that's okay, but I don't want to gloss over what it must have felt like to sit in that in in that board, right? Like, I, I was just thinking me, having just exited corporate America, kind of climbing up the, the corporate ladder, getting to an executive level for a, a pretty big healthcare group. And that what I was envisioning was like, man, if I had this like hope and vision and dream for my career, which is what you had within the Army, and you're busting your ass and applying yourself and hoping and praying that you're going to get to that finish line, whatever that looks like. And it all kind of builds towards this climactic moment where you're sitting in a room, in my case, with, say, like the board from the company and the CEO and all of everybody in the chain of command above me just looking at me and just reviewing my entire body of work. And it sounds like yeah. emotional and like just everything, like who I am as a person and what I've contributed and just making this black and white decision pass or fail. That, that is an intense day, bro. <laughs> so I'm sure you were feeling it. So now you get your first deployment orders, right? So you show up in Afghanistan, similar question of what it was like for a 19 year old or 18 year old Evan to show up at West Point prep school. What was it like showing up for your first deployment to Afghanistan? My first deployment was, was still with a third ID, but it was 2011 or 12, 2000, probably right towards the end of 2011. Okay. Yeah. Would have been right towards the end of, or maybe 2012. Yeah. Right, right. Right. The end of 2012. I'm looking at my Ranger school class. So right at the end of 2012 was when I got to Afghanistan. So I finished Ranger school, the, the course, and then was still with a third ID and deployed to Afghanistan. And so I was, I was like, 
kind of the tail end of the movement. So you had Advon, your advanced party went first. They kind of set up and started ripping out with the, the previous unit. Then the main body showed up. And then I was like at the tail end of the main body that showed up in Afghanistan. You know, we landed in, I guess it was, I guess we landed at Bath. I can't remember exactly where we landed, but I do remember, I do remember what it was like. And it was nuts, man. It was like, uh, you think like you're going to just show up and like, there's like, all right, we're in the game. Like, you know, like, okay, now is when you kind of turn it on. But like, there's never like this, there's never like this like force that field that you walk through and all of a sudden you like know you're in combat and like now you're ready to go. It's like kind of this really weird feeling of, of like, and, and this was, you know, you're on the, you're on the tarmac at, in, in Bagram and, and you're like, oh man, can I get shot right now? Like, could someone like snipe me from, you know, one of these mountaintops over here? And like, I mean, yes, but like, no, really as well. You're pretty safe in one of those big bases, but you know, it's kind of crazy to think like that, you know, to all of a sudden you land in an airport and, and, it, and it kind of felt like, it reminded me of that scene in Star Wars, I don't know if you're Star, I'm not a big Star Wars guy, but I do remember the scene where they go into that bar and there's like all these weird people everywhere. There's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, dude, like three heads and there's another yeah. yeah. guy, like just the, this mashup of just like bizarre people. And it was kind of like that because you have all these like contractors and people from all over the world, like who are landing here to like, you know, participate in the war in some form or fashion. And so just random people ever, different units, different, you know, countries. So it was just kind of this crazy experience. And like, and because I wasn't like a part of the main body, I was like, I need to like link up with somebody. So I wasn't like, you know, in a bus going to my barracks and linking up with my unit. I was like, hey, I'm supposed to meet. Major, you know, Rogers or something like that. I forgot who it was. And he's going to put you in a truck. And he's going to drive you over here. And then you're going to take a helicopter to your, your base. And so, like, you know, I, I remember, like, it was, like, one of the first times in the military where, like, it wasn't all super structured. And, like, I didn't know exactly where I was supposed to be and at what time and all that stuff. So it was just mm -hmm. a really bizarre kind of landing now, is, there. Is, is that because you were a ranger and you were showing up kind of detached from a, a, a bigger unit at the time? Is that why maybe it felt that disorienting? My words, not yours? No, and it was just because yeah. of I, I was I missed the main body movement of my unit. So I was still in the third ID. I just I just gone to Ranger School. So it'd be like going to you know, just like a specialized school. So I wasn't any different than anyone else. I was still with the third ID in my unit and I did have a family. It's just I showed up a little bit after my you know, family. And so they were trying to like I needed to like link back up with them. And they weren't just at you know Bagram. They were like scattered throughout the country in different bases based yeah. on the mission. So like they're like, all right, you know, someone had me on their list. They're like, hey, we're missing a, you know, second lieutenant seal. I was going to say, oh, yeah, he probably landed an hour ago. He's, He's coming. supposed to be arriving. <laughs> He's yeah. getting off the tarmac, ducking. Yeah. Wow. I'll never do. I'm never going to get that the little metaphor there at the Star Wars bar. I'm not a Star Wars guy, but I happen to, I've seen that particular, so yeah. that particular one. It's perfect. It's perfect. For the record. Yeah. Me like all right. So you get where you're going eventually yeah. in the back of a truck, maybe. What's that like? We got picked up in actually a pretty sweet like Land Cruiser. I was like, "What the hell? Why do you guys have all these you know, sweet sweet Land Cruisers over here?" But anyway, we piled in the back of that thing, and we went to another part of the air airfield, and then a helicopter. We took a Blackhawk to. I was just on a manifest with again a bunch of other randoms going to Paktika, which is where my you know like final destination was. And I took a helicopter from there to the to my unit, and then I finally like linked up with my unit, but. You know, it's just a lot of like anxiety constantly because you're like, you, you're never like able to rest. You're never at your final destination for a long time. So you, I've been traveling for freaking four days before I finally got to my, you know, resting place, which is like a cot, you know. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at this point, by the way, we've completely deviated from any possibility for there to be any relatability between corporate America and what you're dealing with at this point in your story. You know what I mean? It's like to show up somewhere, yeah. not only not know anybody, but in a hostile environment, potentially, it sounds like you were figuring some things out on your own as you're kind of navigating. One of the things that jumped out when I was just first trying to picture what it must have felt like to get off on that tarmac. And for, I think most people know it's tarmac, place where planes land. When when you get off there, like you must be so good or strong with dealing with uncertainty and ambiguity because a lot of people struggle when they don't have control over their environment. Yeah. And a lot of people struggle when there is unpredictability just in their daily routine. And there's not a lot of like actual risk, you know, where I'm sitting right now, like if I don't have control over my environment, like what's the worst that can happen? You're literally getting getting off a plane in the most hostile possible place, probably on earth in terms of like combat at that time, you know, and you don't know who you're meeting and where you're going and how you're getting there and what it's going to be like when you get there. And then it's in on top of that, it's your first time. It's just your first deployment. You're articulating all of that to say, man, that, that takes an incredible amount of grit and probably internal control of your emotions to be like comfortable in that environment. Not a question in there, a compliment in there, but yeah, appreciate that's, that's it. A, that's Thank a you. tough. That's a tough situation, brother. Thank you. Well, yeah, I mean, shoot, people. There's people been doing it for forever, man. You know, I'm not. I wasn't the first one to go downrange like that, and you know, mm-hmm. I won't, won't be the last either. I think that there had been a bunch of stuff prior to that that kind of probably prepared me to it. I had surrendered my control. You know, starting at first day at West Point, I kind of got comfortable with just, just, just relax. It's gonna be all right. Like this all buff out, like, you know, you just kind of, you know, we've been here before, like, you know, this is not nothing new, you know, is not, you know, you know, you kind of, I developed this like ability to, you know, everyone has a spectrum of like what's bad and what's like, you know, what's comfortable and what's not comfortable. And like, I just have had the opportunity to like have that, the comfort level, like slide pretty far to where like, I'm actually uncomfortable. And because of that, I have so many uncomfortable experiences to point to and be like, well, I've had that was uncomfortable. This is yep. fine. Like, dude, you're going to be all right. Like, just, just relax. You're going to get there. You know, tomorrow you're going to be like, why was I stressing about that so much? You know, even at that time, and I continue, I think we all do get better and better as we, we get put in different experiences. How many times did you deploy, Evan? Three. Three times. And each times. each time, like first, second, and third, how long are those deployments? So the first how one was months? nine months, and then the next two were four months. Man, thank you for that commitment and that service. If you would just reflect on your three deployments, what are some of the most valuable lessons and wisdom that you gained with those experiences? Yeah, number one would be life is short. So you need to not, don't sweat the small things, focus on the present and enjoy every second you have like in the present because, you know, future future worries are just, you know, made up in your mind and then the past worries or things in the past. So like, it doesn't matter. So right now, what do you have the ability to I have the ability to connect with you? This is real. We can have, you know, build a relationship, you know, focus on those things and don't, you know, don't let things stress you out or, you know, don't get in arguments with people or don't argue with people and just like, you know, have bad engagements or, or really any bad situations. Just life is too damn short to like mm. have those. So, you know, try to develop a, 
a mechanism for which you can realize you're in one of those situations where you're wasting your time being angry or upset or worried or something like that and burning your precious, valuable present time because life is short. Because, you know, people, you, I mean, as you get older and, and you know, if you happen to have deployed, you, you're probably, you accelerate your exposure to loss. Mm. And so that always allows you to see things with a different perspective. And so you hear it all the time. Life is short. Life is short. You ask anyone you know, who's on their deathbed or you know, any, any research you've ever seen on people who are you know, at the end of their life, what they regret. And it's like always, I wish I had spent more time with X, Y, or Z, or I wish I had, you know, hadn't stressed about the small things because I don't think we'll ever, I think even at the end of my life, I'll still be like, man, I wish I hadn't stressed or I wish I had this. But like, if we know that, then, you know, right now we can, we can do something about it. We can live a better life and we can be better people to the people around us. That's a long number one. And then number two would be, you know, just take it, you know, figure out what you want to do. If it's a, if it's a goal or a task or it's a passion or something you're, you know, you've always wanted to do and just, you know, just like take the next step always. You know, don't, don't get bogged down with steps two, three, four. We were talking about this earlier, but like, you know, it's easy to let the hundred meter target or the, whatever analogy you want to use the, the third step or the fourth step prevents you from taking the first one. Discipline is such an important thing. I think discipline plays an important role in that. But like, if you can just get comfortable with constantly taking a step forward over a very long period of time, you can achieve whatever you want to achieve and you can have, a, you can have whatever you want, whatever you want. So um, yeah, do that and put yourself in hard, hard situations. Like don't, if you're not, if you're not, uh, happy with your life and you're feeling discouraged or like, you know, kind of just complacent, you know, a lot of times it's just cause you're not challenging yourself enough and you haven't found something that's taking you out of your comfort zone. So I know for, I know if I don't have like a project that I'm working on or you know, a house project or like a verb project and everything is like good, I'm fucking miserable. Excuse my language because I want to be doing something. Um, yeah. I want to be achieving something or, or pushing myself to, to, to be challenged and do something, find those things. And, and I think, you sh- I think if you constantly are running after something like that, then it's pretty fulfilling. Those are my, those are my words of wisdom. I love it. Life is short. Discipline is everything. This is my summary for you. Yeah, that's good. That's why. Yeah. Say. Yeah. And uh, challenge yourself. Right. I had a, I had a pastor say once, you know, sometimes someone says something to you, just, you just latch onto it. You don't forget it. He said, if it's healthy, it grows, which implies the opposite is also true. You know, and yeah. if you're, if you're challenging yourself and, you know, using discipline to hit whatever goals you're challenged with, you're going to grow and growth is health. You know, that's what it made me think of. And if I, if I could, I just don't want to, I don't want to gloss over this either, but if life is short was your number one, which is wisdom across the board. If everybody can live out that every day with that perspective, it's good. But coming from you, Evan, and, and I'm, I'm literally not going to ask you for any details, but I'm, I'm going to assume that that comes from a, a from a man who has seen lives cut short, which probably brings a lot more appreciation for life, given the places that you've been. And I won't even ask you to respond to that. I would just say that I would deeply respect you. And I think anybody listening should take that advice very seriously, that life is short totally, uh, and, and to live every day that way. Yeah. And, and look, I, I'm not uniquely like, I just happened to probably experience it earlier than most people do, but we're all going to, we're going to start experiencing, you're going to start losing family members, you're yep. going to start losing friends. If you haven't yet, you will, you will hundred yep. percent. It's no one's getting out of this. I mean, look around. I mean, I, I think about it all the time because of that. And it's crazy stuff. Like 
you know, oh gosh, my mom keeps texting me these, you know, what she thinks are funny, like dog videos or something. Like, but I love it. I'm like, dude, I'll never get you know, like I'm gonna be I'm gonna be wishing I had those texts in you know 15, 20 years or whatever. Yeah. Just, you know, things like that, you know. And it's so cliche to be like, oh, you know, time is short, but but like maybe maybe think of it in those terms of like the valuable precious seconds you get with the people you love and, and, and focus on those people. And, and which also means you, you need to probably cut out people who are wasting your time and that don't deserve your, don't deserve your time and, and love and energy. It's yeah. Also the other side. Yeah. Quick, quick anecdote there. Just, but just through a different lens, you know, I, I like I said, I've got, I've got three young kids, which is beautiful, yeah, but man. can be challenging, can be challenging. You know, I, I think sometimes like if I'm in the, if I'm in the middle of the kitchen, I'm, I'm holding my baby and you know, he's loud and crying and needs something. And, my five and a half year old is in the other room, can't find something yelling at me. And then my three and a half year old comes in and she's emotional and she's just following me around the house. Internally, my voice is like, like, God, yeah. just, just give me, please just, just give me a second. Like, just stop talking to me. Right. Like that's my inner voice. But yep. then when I come through on the other side, I'm like, oh my God, like I'm going to miss that little toddler so much one day. You know, it's like, yeah. I know that. And it's like this, yeah. it's this tension between, between, you know, all those things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's tough, man. That's that's a great example. Yeah, and and it's good. To, I mean, I think you have to practice at that. Like in those moments where you're almost want to move to like, I'm stressed out, or I'm now I'm getting angry, or I'm you know, I'm, or I'm going to respond in a negative way to this individual because, you know, I feel like they're bothering me or something like that. But then you can be like, well, is it really affecting me? And is it really worth it to yeah. even create this hostility between any two people? So just like, no, it's not, man. And if it is, then that probably person probably didn't need to be in your life so yeah. like just yeah there should be no reason to yeah agreed agreed all right man yeah. so we'll jump i i, I want to get to verb I, I really do what made you what made you go right because you did go right into entrepreneurship after wharton right i mean you just jumped right into starting the business what made you what made you want to start verb labs and for folks that are listening and not watching that's v-r-b pronounced verb labs and i'll let evan kind of talk us through what the company is and, and the mission behind it, but what made you want to go A, right into entrepreneurship and then B, starting, and I, I don't want to, to label it a supplement company because it's more than yeah. that. It's a movement. But what made you want to start a supplement company specifically to help those areas that you are helping because you are specifically focused on certain areas? Yeah. Yes. Entrepreneurship was something that was always really interesting to me. My time at the, at the private equity firm, I got to see a bunch of founders that had built these companies over 15, 20 years and we're now, you know, selling to the private equity firm. But you know, I, I was one initially like going out and finding the deals for the firm. So I was a lot of times like the first connection to these founders to get them into the, the office to potentially sell their businesses. So I got to talk with a lot of founders and it was a really eye-opening experience to see just like the passion and, the, you know, the, how happy they were that with this baby, you know, this, these were their babies at 15, 20 years, they've been building these companies and like blood, sweat and tears. And, you know, they're super proud of them. And it was just like this really cool experience to see someone so excited about these companies that they had built. And I was like, man, that's awesome. And it was also, they were like, you know, they're, they're healed, you know, like private equity firms, they want the founders, they want the businesses, like that is the gold. Right. And then you have these founders who are like, yeah, I built this thing over 10, 15 years. This is mine. It's like, you want to buy some of this? Okay, come talk to me. Like they were like the they were in charge, really. I mean, they're they're the ones that people they were they were sought after, right? Like they were yeah. the, the the few, you know. And I was like, man, that's cool. Like these guys are out there, you know, kind of you know, blazing their own path, building these companies, and everyone's trying to track them down to you know to get a piece of it. Like those are the 
those are the real like MVPs that are in the arena, like getting after it. I was like, that's cool. I want to do that. And so I kind of had this bug from that experience going into grad school. And so uh, I started taking like the entrepreneurship classes, like first year, uh, you know, first year, first semester to try to like, let me just get in the ecosystem to see if I can just you know, knock something loose or comes up with anything. And I ended up meeting my co-founder, Chase Hobby, who's awesome dude. Navy guy, naval aviator, flew F-18s for like 10 years, athlete at, at the Naval Academy, just all around stud and, and great guy. And me and him kind of bonded first first year, first semester, a lot of same interests, you know, health, wellness, fitness, entrepreneurship. And man, we, we basically partnered up in, in these classes, these entrepreneurship classes to, to start like brainstorming and we could build something. And, and we were also very against, not against, but like, kind of we just didn't want to do the traditional path of like okay you know consulting investment banking yada 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 let's start recruiting 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 for some you know to go work somewhere and let's try to build a business and so we you know through these classes we started throwing out a bunch of ideas and we're commiserating one day on just being kind of banged up athletes from you know college and then the military and you know having trouble sleeping and, you know, some stress, PTSD, you know, pain issues, inflammation, stuff that like, you know, we were starting to become acutely aware of at our age based on like, you know, what we'd been through and put our bodies through. And we also knew that the VA has historically just been kind of, I don't want to say they overprescribe, but like they're, they're quick to try to make people feel better. And so it's like quickly onto prescription drugs pretty quickly. Like if you go on and you're banged up, you know, here's some prescription drugs and well intended, right? Well intended. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well intended for sure. Like I, I, I have no malice towards the VA and I think they get a bad rap, but they, they don't deserve it really. They do. They try to do everything they can for veterans, but, yeah. but there was a, there was a, I, I, we thought there could be another step between the prescription drugs and, and getting help. And, and, and also like we, we could see that, you know, veterans, this, this, cohort of people were just not were just underserved and you know we, we were like hey look let's let's see if we can build some you know better for you solutions natural solutions that are maybe a stepping stone before you go to the prescription drugs these will help you maybe maybe you can help 30 percent of these people you know 70 percent are probably need you know probably need more help than what we can provide and that's 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 totally understandable and that's just you know we're not we can't help everyone but can we cut off a percentage of these people to prevent them from going this route and then solve their issues with cleaner, natural, non-addictive solutions. And yeah, we focus on pain, stress, sleep, because those are, you know, they're very related. If you're in, if you're in pain and you have you know, severe inflammation, you're not sleeping well, if you're not sleeping well, your cortisol levels are jacked, you're stressed out. And then guess what? If, you, if you're stressed out and your cortisol levels are jacked, you're going to get inflammation and you know, have achy, painful body. So they're all related. So if you can kind of, you know, target those, then man, you can at least get your body back to, you know, a level playing field to where you can go on and enjoy life and do the things you want to do. We attacked those three and teamed up with a group of pharmacologists out in California to start getting smart on all the research, you know, which botanicals work the best with each other and what dosages and what can we build that could, you know, really deliver some great you know, results. And, Anyways, long story short, we did that and, and did a bunch of R and D for for months. Got some you know products built, started testing them you know ourselves, giving them to friends, family, classmates, and you know over a year realized like we got some real 
awesome products here that people are loving and like actually coming back to us and saying they helped and can I get more? And we're like, dude, we, you know, we, we might have something here. Like let's, let's start building a, a business around that. So we were super scrappy. Like I built the website, like we, we jumped up the, the labels and like PowerPoint or something. And like, just like, wow. let's get a company. Let's just get, let's just get in the game. And we got the products coming and you know, we can get like really small order quantities. We're paying way too much, but you know, we're, we're getting real low order quantities, so we don't have to like break the bank to yeah. buy the stuff. Our stuff we're all coming out of pocket, so we you know we didn't start with you know, trust fund money or anything like that. Like nobody gave us money. I I think I put like I think we both put like seven grand in, and that like covered us for like a year and a half, two years. Yeah, man, that's that's kind of the that's how it happened. That's how it started. You you light up when you start talking about Verb. The moment we kind of just flipped that switch, I said, "Tell me about the mission, the genesis of it, man." Yeah, I could just tell you're so passionate about it. Supp- supplements, man, and, and again, I don't want to put the box on supplements, but you have a very holistic kind of the way you talk about it. You're looking at the whole body, heart, mind, how those things are synergistic. But supplements, I mean, that's a that's a tricky. I would imagine that's a tricky one to jump into if you don't have a like a background there. What was it? What was it like when you guys are sitting there? Like I'm picturing, but like now what? Like what do we do? I mean, every day is a roller coaster. It's uh, you know, you're like. This is this the, the feeling that I had at uh, selection. It's like, well, man, I'm not going to make it. Like, this is we're not, you know, not going to succeed. Like, this is going to fall through. Or you, know, you have a lot of those feelings, like despair. But then all of a sudden, you get like a, a purchase order, and you're like on cloud nine, and then that quickly fades. Like, okay, now how do we fill this order? And like, you're back to like, you know, not despair, but like you're into like crisis control. So it's just like this constant up and down of like. Super pumped, excited, crisis control. How do we do this? Or, you know, this is going to work out. Okay, pivot. I mean, it's just a constant game of like quickly pivoting, constantly pivoting, look, shoot, move. Just like you're, you have to keep moving. That's the point. You just have to keep going forward. Yeah. And go through the wall, go over the wall, go, you know, freaking buy a different route and you know, whatever you got to do. But like, you know, if you just stick with it and, you've been, and you, you can have the you know, determination to keep doing that, then. I think the other important thing too that I want to touch on though is the supplement space, like you were asking, and how we found our suppliers. You know, supplement space is crowded, but we've kind of nudged our way in a little bit. So and we're you know, we're we're doing just fine. So yeah, I just say that to people who are hesitant to think that they can start a business or they don't have the idea or you know, that's all kind of that just people are scared to take the first step. And that's okay, but if you can identify that then then you can say like, Oh, you know, let me just keep Keep trying, keep going. So, yeah, that. little cliche here, but your willingness to kind of jump out into the into the unknown, just kind of move in a direction. I, I've heard people say like, "Perfect is the enemy of progress." People yeah. that have to like work it all out perfectly and have every box yeah. checked and know where they're going, that's just going to stop you and slow you down. And I'll say this too, just on the topic of perfect is the enemy of progress. I think a strength and a weakness of mine is just comfort kind of moving forward in and operating in an environment when every detail is not known. And for instance, I've, I've built my own house, a beautiful house back in New Jersey. I, I, when I say built it, I wasn't swinging hammers. That wouldn't be safe for anybody. But I was, you know, learning the trades, scheduling them out, dealing with the township officials. I mean, literally built the thing, built the whole thing. My wife did all the selections. But point is, there was many times in that process where I knew in my head, like, shit, I don't know this all the way through. I yeah. don't have the either the time or sometimes, if I'm being real honest, the patience to learn it all the way through. I'm confident and trustful enough that I can move in this direction. 
for whatever reason, it would usually work out for me. Uh, but there, I, I can identify that there are people that would just stop and take the time because they're not comfortable. And that stuff accumulates into delays and lack of progress and even serious setbacks. And in getting Alton Fitness off the floor, I have felt fundamentally some similar moments where I was like, wow, this feels like I'm building a house. You know, I'll get to like the website. You mentioned you did it yourself. I was like, okay, I've got to make a decision on what button or an SEO thing or a social media post. And sometimes I'm moving in a direction and I don't know exactly if it's the right one, but I'm comfortable doing it. And if someone would have, have asked me, like my wife has asked me, like, hey, like, wh- why do you think, because Ultima is, is going to launch on time. And she's like, what do you think it is? You know, you've never started a business. Why do you think that we're going to, you know, get to the finish line? And I had, if I had to give one answer, I think it's that comfort of just kind of having a, I think it starts with the passion, the idea, the spark, and then the confidence, and then your, the, the, you know, the discipline, right? Like knowing what has to get done, waking up early, busting your ass and getting it done. But I, I think there's a, like a, an entrepreneurial kind of strength there that I'm hearing from you where you just, you have the confidence you're going to move in that direction. Yeah. I think we're all wired differently because it's being, you know, Chase and I are, we're, we make a great team because, you know, I am wired to, to, to kind of push forward with pretty limited uh, information or, you know, kind of teasing out like a strategy, like we're just going to, here's a campaign idea. Here's an idea. You know, we're going to do this. I think it's been great. And, and sometimes it, it freaking bangs and sometimes it's, it's not, but like I'm, I'm super quick to do that. And I could probably use a little bit more restraint in some situations where Chase is complete opposite, right? Like he's like, mm. I want to write down, I want to know all the details of like, how this is going to play out and, and like, you know, what is the opportunity here? And like, you know, very intelligently, like kind of think through it before committing. And I'm like, man, I just want to, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of figure it out and like get there you know, and it's going to work out. And so it's just, it's really just two different ways and, and you can't approach it two different ways. I think the key is you, at some point you have to do something, whichever yes. one you are. So like, you know, if you're the more, the planner, that's cool. Do it, do some planning, but at some point you got to stop planning and fucking move. Yeah. Yeah. Movement. Yeah. I hear you. I mentioned Jay Ty earlier. Who's, who's a unofficial strategic advisor of mine and he knows me. Excellent one. Yeah, he's fin- he's amazing. And but when I when I approached him and said, "Listen, this is what I'm doing," and to your point, Evan, I know my blind spots, and I need somebody to reel me in and be like, "Slow down, you need to think about this." Right. So I've intentionally surrounded myself with two people specifically that have that kind of counterbalance. And I'll never forget Jay's when I when I asked him, his preface was, "It's going to be a yes," but he's like, "You need." He goes, "You need to know that I am notoriously notoriously risk averse." in my strategic thinking because he knowing me, he knew that he had to give that preface because he didn't want to see tension. The first time I come to him with a problem that needs to be solved and he gives me counsel that slows me down, you know? So I've kind of built in that protection for myself. Good. That's good on you because that's the other thing you can do to kind of mitigate your downsides because you can either have advisors, teammates, whatever, but like, you know, having people in your corner too is something we haven't talked about, but like as an entrepreneur, man, even if you're on a, a team like me and Chase are, you are very much alone, like in your in your silos. So like being able to connect with other entrepreneurs who have who have you know maybe two or three years ahead of you, you kind of been down some of these you know paths and run into some of these challenges. I mean, just talking to people like that gives you confidence. Again, you can see so much like well, they did it. Like like why 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 can't I do it? Why would I not be able to do it if they're doing yeah. it? I'm like clearly they are. So like 
either I'm not working hard enough or, or I just don't believe yet and you need to. So yeah, I think it's super important to like build that kind of support team around you. Yeah. Heck yeah. I've got two more questions for you. The first one, I just want to hear it. It's more of kind of like, Hey, just share some things with us, but you know, it's all over your, your, your marketing. It's all over the way you speak, but you, you guys have a heart for veterans. You know, some of the, some of the issues that you're helping folks with, particularly around stress, sleep, PTSD, things like that. My assumption is given what your mission is and and the products that you're, you're, you know, selling and, and why you're doing it, you've probably got some pretty, pretty awesome impact type stories from the folks that are using your products. It's been, it's been eye opening. It's not, I still almost have like, it's not imposter syndrome. I mean, there's, there's definitely some imposter syndrome, but like when I, even still, when I get like feedback, I'm like, was that, was that genuine? Like, like, I don't even know this person, but they're clearly giving genuine feedback. I'm like, for whatever reason, like my brain just doesn't even want to like give myself credit or give, you know, give verb credit for like the effect we've had, have had on people. But I'll give you an example. There's a, there's this Vietnam vet who found out about us through his son, who is an athlete, Navy SEAL. And he liked our products and he actually worked with us a little bit as a brand ambassador and he's been a great person, but he told his dad about us. And he's like, man, you know, can I get my dad some of this stuff? He's, he's a Vietnam vet. He's, he's lives out in, I, I want to say Utah, like out basically like got to send him to a PO box and it's like, you know, it's, it takes him a couple of days to get to it and all that stuff. But we got him some of our sleep supplements and he wrote, he wrote this note basically saying like, and this is just one example. There's a lot of these, but he basically wrote this note saying like, Hey guys, like, you know, this is, I can't tell you how much this has changed my life. I haven't slept well in the latter half of my life, you know, since probably the last 40 years. And last night was the first night I ever, I've gotten a full night, great night's sleep. And the emotion and power and the emotion I'm feeling this morning, writing this letter is, I can't even explain it to you. You guys have essentially changed my life. And I'm like, whoa, you know, like that's like, that's incredible, right? Like, yeah. And, you know, we had set out to like build these products as kind of like a, a stepping stone. Like, you know, they, they work for sure, but it's not like this. I just never dreamed of it being like that impactful. I was like, let's help people. Let's give them some supplements, supplements in itself. Like, you know, just some additive stuff you can add to your, your, your diet and just to kind of help give your body the energy fuel it needs to like perform the way it should. But it's not going to, it's not going to, I didn't think it would be like a taking a Valium or whatever it is you take to sleep and all of a sudden, like, you know, you go to sleep. So yeah. this is the, it's, it's had the effect on a lot of people. A guy sent me a bottle of scotch. He was so happy. He was <laughs> like, I can't believe how well I'm sleeping. This is incredible. You know, you guys are, I love y'all, you know, this, your brand and what you've done for my life. Can you send me your address so I can send you something for Christmas? I was like, this guy yeah. is sending us something because he's yeah. so by you know how we have helped him so i mean it's awesome it's it's, it's why we do it and that's why we're super passionate about it man Spe- specifically the veteran community because you know if you look at pain stress sleep the the majority of the population is suffering with these and like staggering numbers and we've gone into all this and it's 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 crazy how how many people are just struggling with these issues but the veteran community specifically is like you know like everything else like 10x worse than, yeah. than the population. So yeah, I'm, I'm, we're veterans and, you know, my friends and, you know, most of my friends are veterans and I've seen firsthand how this stuff can get out of control. And so I love it, man. I love helping, helping them feel better. 
Yeah. And you know what I would imagine too, Evan, as I think about your, your business and your mission, it's like, you know, your products, they're amazing. I've, I've taken them right. And, and I getting to know you, I have no doubt that you guys were so thorough and diligent on the ingredients and the sourcing of them. Like no question. But part of what you're also doing as you're reaching people with your marketing is probably introducing them to the fact that they ha- there is something out there to help them in the first place. You know, I feel like yeah. that education is probably a big part of the impact that you guys have. And then when they, you know, they move forward and, and have that relationship with you as their brand for those ingredients, like then when the, when the product delivers, you're just, you could be changing their lives completely, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome, man. I, I love what we're doing and I'm grateful to, to be able to, you know, serve all these you know great people that are, you know, that I look up to and, and you know, at least help make them happy and make their life a little bit better. I mean, that's, that's cool, man. It gives me purpose. So it's something that I really enjoyed and I'm grateful to have found like a purpose to, to run or something that gets me excited to like build products, make people feel good. Like that's awesome. Yeah. Like, I get to feel good about that. And, and so I enjoy it. So I hope, I hope other people, you know, find, find whatever that is for, for you. And I think veterans struggle with that a lot, just finding purpose after the service. And so, you know, finding a way to continue to serve people has been super helpful for me. Yeah. Well said. So last question for you, Evan, what's, what's the future look like? I mean, it's 2024 coming around pretty quick. What's the, what's the future look like for verb? Gosh, man, for, for us, for verb, I think you'll see us focus more on sleep as our mm. primary you know problem set that we're trying to solve for right now. We do sleep, stress, and pain. We've done a great job on the on the sleep side. And I think that we're seeing the most impact on the sleep side. And that's why I think we, you know, we will continue to just dive deeper in that, that area, build additional products that you know, serve a wider cohort of people. It's been interesting to see that we have two sleep supplements. Currently we have sleep drops and then we have sleep gummies and they have a little bit different formulas. And the reason being is because just people, people react differently to different formulas. I mean, what, you know, someone might love the gummies and sleep great on those, but not get the same benefit from the drops and vice versa. So because we've seen that, uh, we want to start offering additional variants of our, of our sleep supplement. So, you know, some people are, you know, adverse to melatonin. There's a melatonin version, you know, flavoring. We could add some different flavoring, delivery methods. They don't like the gummies or the drops. Let's do a powder. Just how can we, you know, offer more solutions to a wider group of people. So we'll focus on that over the next year and, and probably look to get out more and like be a part, like get out in the community more with more events. I think that's been really great for us to get out, show people the brand, let people touch, feel, see, talk to us, you know, get, you know, kind of connect with people in, a, in, in person. We started this thing in 2020. So like the first basically like year and a half, like there was like no in-person stuff. And so, you know, we didn't really have a strategy for that channel. So I'd like to see us do a little bit more of that in the next year. For me, that story is around alcohol. I notoriously historically used alcohol to cope with like stress and pressure and things like that. That to say, and you can put this in your research data bank on how people take different supplements, but what I did to help me, I always used a a beer, like as I turned off my corporate mind and went into like dad mode, I always would have a beer and it turned into two beers, three beers. But so when I decided to kick that habit, I replaced that habit with a good one, which was I was having and beers, non-alcoholic beers, things yeah. like that. All context to say, what I found worked for me was doing research, theanine, which you're familiar with, yeah, and ashwagandha, yeah. and magnesium. I literally bought droppers, and I felt like a weirdo. Like, I'd be like, hey, my wife, my wife's yeah. name is Meg. I'd be like, Meg, be right back. And I would yeah, go in the pantry. 
Yeah, seriously, like a mad scientist. And I started yeah. taking like theanine, ashwagandha, and like magnesium. And then I would drop it into my NA beer. It would do nice. a little, you know, it would fizz, fizz up a little bit, but it was okay. Yeah. And then I would have that. And something about that, you know, the fact that I was drinking something that had something in it, as opposed to just the NA beer, was a game changer for me, just in terms of like getting past that transition. So I know what you mean. Like if you would have presented me like those same supplements in a different form, I would have preferred the the drops because yeah. that's how I would want to drink them, you know? So yeah. cool. I think you're you're on the right track, but put that in your, your research bank there. That's, that's great, man. That's great feedback. And, and yeah. yeah, I appreciate you telling me that. If you had that small space to give the younger version of yourself some advice, but you had a limited time to do it, what advice would you give your younger self? Give yourself more credit and, and love yourself more. You'll re- uh, basically, if I was talking to myself, like you'll realize later on in life that, you know, that you, you haven't been great to yourself. So start, start doing that now um, in terms of just like, you know, giving yourself, I guess, like I say, give yourself credit and, and build yourself up more and love yourself more than you are. Don't quit being so hard on yourself about everything. Mm-hmm. And I would say that don't sweat the small stuff, you know, continue to, to know that life will always continue forward. So as things get hard, you know, no matter what you, you know, kind of come up against, it will pass and you will be fine. And so remember that and keep going and, and keep pushing forward and appreciate the, the present. The last thing I would say is that always remember that people are going to remember how you made them feel above anything else. So it's not what you gave them or it's not, you know, you know the grades you got or the, the game you played or the clothes you wore or, or any of that, man. It's just really how you made them feel. So if you can make people feel good around you, they'll always remember you for that. And if you make people feel bad or if you, you know, if you're rude to people, they'll remember that. So, you know, don't forget that, I would say. That's beautiful. Man, this has been great. Learned a ton about you. Thanks for donating your time here and, and spending way over time <laughs> to, to get to know you. But uh, man, you're, you're an inspirational story. I hope you know that. Thank you. I mean, it's an honor to come on here and, and congrats to you. I mean, you're doing it right here. You're, you're in the arena building something awesome right here. So I'm, I'm honored to you know, be considered to, to, to be brought on this thing, man. It means a lot to me. I know what you're building. It's, it's awesome. It's going to save a lot of people's lives and, and help a lot of people feel better and, and live a better life. So, I mean, there's not, I mean, keep on, man, stay with it. And, and, you know, gosh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to, to be here and to be a part of it. So it's like kind of ground zero. I'm excited for you. So Evan Seal, everybody. Thanks so much. Hosted by Ultimate Fitness, this podcast is an extension of our mission to empower individuals to use fitness and community to break free from alcohol and other harmful addictions to live their best life yet. The Live Fit Break Free Podcast.